Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, it's Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and welcome to another episode of Be Unique's Unscripted, where we talk to artists, musicians, performers, and business professionals. My name is Tony Taylor, I'll be your host for this evening. You know, you could spend your Thursday nights anywhere, and we are excited you're spending it with us. The conversation is cool, it's calm, and it's casual. You can also be a part of the conversation by dialing 516-418-5651. Now, before we begin, let's talk about why you need to get on your phone and go to BeUnique.org. That's B-U-N-E-K-E.org. Here's what Be Unique is all about. Our mission is to work today to change tomorrow using digital mediums to connect the world with professional storytelling and media production. We work to educate, inspire, and foster positivity and creativity worldwide through video, audio, and a spectacular literary magazine featuring writers from around the world. The newest Be Unique magazine is out right now, and you can read it online along with Be Unique Brevard magazine, the Space Coast premiere magazine. Be Unique is also a media powerhouse. Not only do you get this incredible podcast hosted by me, Tony Taylor, but 11 other shows. So sit back, get comfortable, and get ready to dial 516-418-5651 with your questions, comments, and whatever else you may want to say. Let's meet our guest. All right, everybody. It is Thursday night. It's 9 o'clock. It's Eastern Standard Time. You are on Be Unique Radio, and you are on Be Unique's Unscripted. My name is Tony Taylor. I'll be hosting tonight, and with me tonight is author Val Green whose first book, Dead Man Standing, leaves a pack of five-star reviews on Amazon. So you should go check it out. That's Dead Man Standing. That's by author Val Green. Val, welcome to the show. How are you this evening? I'm great, and thank you for having me, too. How are you oh, doing tonight? It's great to have you. I'm doing great. It's great to have you, Val. Um, I, I really have kind of struggled with uh, this week's episode because of, of just the incredible background that you have. And um, and my background versus, and I really I, I really am out of the out in the weeds when it comes to thinking about how you grew up and 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 who you are. So um and I and I figure that's a lot of our listeners too. A lot of our listeners probably haven't had the experiences that you've had, and we're really looking forward tonight to learning more and um, and hopefully gaining a, a better insight into what's going on out there in the world. So, Val, again, it's great to have you. First off, I got to tell you, in my mind, you've reached the pinnacle of success. You know why? Because you're a published author. Congratulations. I think that's fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. What's that like? How do you feel about it? I mean, uh, how does that make you feel? Actually, it feels great. Uh, um, my first book, um, that my, actually, my first book was really It's Not a Game. My second oh, book was Dead Man okay. Standing, but I printed Dead Man Standing first because okay. It's Not a Game was more therapeutic to me uh, for what I right. was doing my family. And it allowed me to release a lot of pain and just deal with a lot of um, demons that I had to deal with coming up as a child. So when I first wrote it, it was definitely therapeutic. I mean, I cried okay. while, while I wrote the entire book. 
um, because I was just, you know, bringing back up old memories of things that I, that I deal with from right. time to time and deal with issues with, you know, at one point I didn't like a lot of my family, but as I wrote the book, it allowed me to heal. And I was oh, wow. Them. So the book was yeah. actually therapy for you. Correct, yes. But I just turned into uh, a novel, so I made a reality-based um, fiction. You know, because you know, nowadays, a lot of times you write about what you go through. Most people right. really don't want to hear it. So I just transformed it into something, you know, three stories into one. And it's, you know, dealing with different parts of my life and right. different events that, I, that I've seen and had that, you know, deal with throughout my life. Right. Um, so let's talk about first um... – when did you discover you enjoyed writing? Was this something that you as a kid discovered within yourself, or is this recent? Uh, actually, I got it from my mother. She, she's always telling me, you know, that one day she's going to write a story about herself. And when I start going through a lot of you know, tough times in my life, my mother kept telling me, right. you should write a book about your, about your stuff. Because, you know, when I was younger, I didn't know – go through therapy and things like that because, you know, right. I was you no, know, I didn't like my, didn't like my, my, my skin complexion. I didn't like it then about myself because of how you know, my really? family treated me. Yeah. And, um, and what was that like? Got what to was a that point. like? What was that like? I'm sorry to inter- inter- interrupt you. Yeah. I just was wondering, what was that like to be, um, I don't know, uh, chast- not chastised, but to be made to feel different with being a, a darker skin? Wow, it was um, it was tough. It was tough. I mean, you felt like I don't know how to describe it as a child. Um, you felt like you had no purpose, no reason oh. to live. Yeah, and it just it was a lot of times, you know, as a child, I just wanted to give up, or I just um, release it through anger. Sure. And as a child, you don't really know how to convey the message. Right. You know, you really don't know how to convey what, what you're dealing with because you no. Know, you know, older adults asking, what are you dealing with? And you're trying to explain, but you couldn't. I mean, at the time I couldn't explain. Like, right. I just don't like it. And and there's like, why? You know, because my family had a, on my mother's family had a bunch of dogs. And okay. one dog was, in particular, it was a black German Shepherd. They named him the N-word. And oh, wow. when I was little, yeah, when I was little, I still always hang out with the dogs. <laughs> you know, oh, because, I couldn't, because I couldn't play with my, my, my siblings. Uh, or my cousins, so I got to hang with the dogs, and the dogs didn't protect me when I was little. And right. they used to call me the N word too, so that's why I was all oh, walk. I'm going to hang man. with the other, you know, the other black dog. And, and that, but the good thing about it, as I grew, it taught me more about dogs and how to train them. And I came <laughs> up, I, I I was breeding dogs for a short period because you no know, men dogs yeah. became so close. I mean, I actually right. started grunting to them and <laughs> making sounds to them to get them to you know to, to follow my my instructions. And right. at one point, they even protected me for a short period. Wow, so, and like growing I learned how to turn the bad into the good. That is, yes. and, and 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 you certainly have done that. Um, I wanted to, and I and I asked you earlier if it was okay. Let's talk about mm-hmm. your childhood because. I think that is a big deal with the new book coming up. It's not a game. I know that's your first written book, but it's not a game. Mm-hmm. It seems to stem. It seems to touch a lot deeper into your emotional background. So let's talk about growing up. Yes. I mean, what was it like growing up, Paul? I mean, how you've been through all of these issues, uh, and feel free to you know cut me off whenever you want. But I mean, I, I just wanted to get a, an idea, as I'm sure our listeners mm-hmm. do. 
what it was like being the young Vol and experiencing all that you have experienced. Mm, uh, it was it was extremely bad. Um, the good thing about it, and I'm gonna go back to um, the bad stuff, but the, the great thing about it, when I went through it, I made a promise to myself I would not let it happen to anyone else. But um, uh, okay. when I was young, it was difficult. I was always um, being lied on by my aunt because my family that brought my aunt, um, well, excuse me, my mother, she brought her sister and my aunt and her, her children. And my father was in the military, so he was you know, constantly flying out and flying back right. in. And it was a time when he flew out. He went to um, to South Korea, and I was just there with my mother and my aunt. My mother's working multiple jobs, and my mother would always buy a lot of food and fill up two freezers because, you know, you're talking about between my mother and father's eight children, and then my aunt had three wow. more children, so we'd fill up freezers full yeah. of food. And and um, it was times when we had you no know, different steaks or whatever inside the freezer, and my aunt would cook them while my mother was gone, and then my mother would come back, well, what's happening to all the food? And she would say, well, you know, it's a little black one. He did it, you know. And, <sighs> Yeah, and uh, and then whenever I would speak up, you know, I would get you no know, beat by my aunt when my mother would leave, and then my mother come back, she would beat me for lying because you no, know, everyone was saying that I was lying on my aunt, and it took years for my mother to realize when I got older, and I explained to her as a mom, you know, I can tell you this now, as you know, as a young man, now you know, they were actually lying, and she broke down and she cried and. She asked oh. for forgiveness. Now, of course, I forgave her. You know, that's my mom. Certainly. But, um, it just, right. yeah, it just, just for so many years, you know, she didn't know what to believe because, you know, of course, she had multiple children and an adult saying that one child was lying. And we ended up going closer and closer when I got older. And, um, right. Even when I got to, I was 13, when my mother and father split up, I ended up getting shot protecting my mother. And, I mean, she's, not, she's no longer here now because she passed away. About okay. six years ago, okay. but me and my mother always been best friends, wow. and yeah, it just like I said, when people go through things like that, uh, like I said, you have a choice: either you become the victim and you're holding the anger, right. or you say, you know what, I'm gonna fight. And it took years before I well, switched well, I was over. gonna ask you that. You know? I was gonna ask you that. This happened uh-huh. to you at such a young age. Did you ever feel? Mm-hmm in a sense of just throwing up your hands in the air and giving up? Yes. Um, but my big sister, um, whenever she would come around, she would always, you know, pull me close and she would, you know, motivate me and I would hang up on her for protection. And um, she would always, you know, just, you know, give me, you know, inspiration and just guide me on, you know, staying focused. And then um, uh, my brother got to a certain age. He realized what was going on. He stopped it. And, and you know, they became you know, my protectors. Wow. So when, of course, when they were young, below you know, the age of 12, you know, they were just sure. you know, following along with, you know, with all the adults. Sure. Because um, there multiple you, uncles and aunts. No, go ahead, Val. I'm sorry. Oh, excuse me. No, it was just I had uh, multiple uncles and um, had, um, two aunts that treated me different because of it, because of my dark skin. They always call me, you know, the black boy, the bamba, or the N-word, you know. And, oh, again, man. when they were children, they accepted it. But when they got to a certain age, you know, they started standing against it. And, of course, they had no choice when I turned 14. I was a big 14-year-old boy. <laughs> <laughs> when did you decide or when did, it, when did you come to the realization that you weren't going to take that anymore or you weren't, you know, I know your sister helped you out of not, you know, just completely mm-hmm. collapsing. 
But when did you get mm-hmm. to a point where you were like, I'm not going to take this anymore? I think it was when, hmm, it happened before my, my baby brother was born. I'm not sure right now because when I was younger, I got to the point where I started. You know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna accept it. I'm just gonna fight against it. And I kept on fighting. I kept fighting against it, and I kept getting beat up. But um, it got to the point where that's just my in my mind. Just right. Don't stop. I mean, even to this day, at this point in life, I'm. That's how I am. I mean, if I if it's if it's if it's right, I'm gonna stand on it. And I have that strong faith. Me. I mean, I don't mind. I stand on it. That leads me to a good question here. I mean, how how do you think, being the victim of abuse, how do you think you can reduce, you know, that kind of domestic abuse between spouses and children? Try to communicate with them and let them know that um, acting in those manners are really a form of uh, being childish. Because right. um, currently, I'm I'm a union president too, <laughs> for a local, okay. and okay. Um, okay. I'm, a, I'm a motivational speaker as well. So I, I go okay. out and I speak to a lot of people, and I let people know. I point out the fact that when you allow yourself to to, to fall and align with things like that, that's a love. It's showing that you know you're, you, you, it's a childish thing. Right. I mean, for instance, my aunt. She. I found out when I got older that she just didn't like me because, you know. My grandfather on my mother's side just considered me to be, you know, more intelligent. And Ugh. but as a child, I didn't realize that. I thought he hated me too. And I realized that she was just really scared, and that's why she wanted to do as much as possible to belittle me. But mm. again, years later, you know, it, it didn't work. And now when I go out and I talk to people, I let people just just think about it. Like, wait a minute, when you act out like this, when you Get so frustrated when you see you have to become you know, physically violent towards someone. I mean, you lost you lost the battle. Right. You know, I'm a, I'm a mixed martial artist too, <laughs> and there's been many times I talk to people like, "Hey, calm down." I mean, and I w- I would not you know um, add, contribute to 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 their energy, the negative energy. And I just back up and you need to calm down. You know, I'm gonna give right. you a moment and I let them know you're acting like a child right now. You're not being a man. You're acting like a child right now. And I have people come to me like, who are you, talk- who are you talking to? You saying I'm like a child? <laughs> well, how are you acting right now? <laughs> and I was back up, giving time to calm down. And a lot of times people come back and just know, you know what, you're right, and I apologize. Right, right. Do you, do you think, um, I mean, that must have been years and years and years of being torn down there. Um, do you think yes. that, and again, I'm, you know, I'm, t- I'm talking to you now that, and, and it, this does not sound like a person whose history I, I know somewhat of. And um, mm-hmm. I, I just I, – it, it really is quite a, a, a feat or quite a thing uh, to be mm-hmm. speaking with you right now. But then, you know, learning all of this about your past and how it somehow didn't cripple mm-hmm. you or block you mm-hmm. or destroy you. And, you know, that, that is a major – we'll talk about it. I mean, there's a lot of people out there struggling right now with probably the yeah. same conditions that you've been in. They, you know, they're in homes where they're not supported or they have parents that don't love them or they have a spouse who yes. can't stand them. You know, talk yes. about that. Talk about, um, you know, overcoming all of those differences and being torn down all those years. You know, uh, what was like what I was said, the 14-year-old Vol like? I mean, you know, did he, mm-hmm. you know, how did he respond to it? And then there was the younger Vol. 
How did he respond to it? Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Uh, it took it took time for me to um, stop acting out in rage because um, when I was younger, I I would tell I didn't care who it was, you're gonna stop. <laughs> I mean, for example, my mother and father um, split up, and she had a, a boyfriend that came in. He was abusive, and my mother used to pray like, please. If you're going to act stupid, do not act stupid around my son, Vaughn. <laughs> because right, my tolerance right. was zero as a child. And I would tell him, look, look, it's your last day saying my mother. You're not going to disrespect my mother or my siblings. And when I said it, I meant it. It wasn't a debate. And I just had a zero tolerance toward negativity. And for people who are going through things like this, all I can, all I can um, share with them is just like to keep an eye on the prize. And just remember right. when, when it, whenever you – allow negative energy to consume you, you have become the problem. And that's one thing I always remind myself because it takes two fools, you know, I mean, if you see one person yelling at the wall, he's crazy. If you see two people yelling at each other, they're two fools. So a lot of times I just remind myself that like, don't become a part of the problem. Look for a solution or the step away from the problem. How much of that mentality of, of that, you know, for lack of a better description, suffering when you're growing up, and the mentality you have, how, how much do you try to infuse that into your characters in your books? Um, I'm sure. I, what I try to do, I try to um, convey it in a, in a way, because you know how it is with books. Sometimes you go from using medical terms, you go from medical terms, whatever, people become, become bored, and they'll put the book down. Right, right, so, right, right. Something similar to like some of the, um, the, the great writers – you blend it in into a story so that people get consumed into it and then they realize, wait a minute, it was a deeper meaning to the story. Like, it's not a game. I mean, when, or better yet, Dead Man Standing, when you read it, okay, you think it's about, you know, uh, an innocent man being accused of murdering a cop, but then when you look deeper into it, it's, it's a man that was also dealing with family problems and he was trying to figure out what was wrong with his family and why his friends were disappearing. And right. it's about you know, a love and a lack of communication between him and his spouse and how they got to that problem. And I try to infuse it into that so that way people realize, okay, I, I read a great story, but wow, I didn't see things that way. And, um, and it's not growing, a game. You, and, well, you're taking a lot mm-hmm. of, of, of what you felt, right? A lot of what you felt. Say it one more time. What you, you, you're, you're taking in a lot of what you felt. And a lot of what yes. you experienced, yes, with those themes yes. in those novels, correct? Correct. Uh, I, I so, was I was raised all over the world, um, and I've seen a lot, experienced a lot, and yeah, I always blend in a lot of stuff, you know, together. So you know, so that way people can get a good roller coaster ride. And I was told by one gentleman, he was um, he read the book. My first book, you know, Dead Man Standing. Right. And uh, he fell in love with it. He told me he couldn't put it down. And I'm not going to lie. I was well, no, no, another, if, uh, if, mm-hmm. if, if you go to your Amazon page um, on Dead Man Standing, uh, it's consistently five stars. And consistently people have mm-hmm. said that they can't put it down. So obviously you have mm-hmm. touched a nerve with readers. And that's something to be very proud of. And yeah. I tell you what, I, uh, do you think you would be half the writer today if you hadn't experienced all of those traumas that you went through as a kid? No. No. 
and and uh, no, yeah. I, honestly, when I was younger, I didn't want to go through it, but now as an adult, I thank God that I've been through what I've been through because I'm now I can help people. And and as you just mentioned in the book, you know, it allows you to convey the pains and the struggles that people deal with in, in life. And um, it turns out to be a blessing because I've run across people as um, as a union president. I ran across a gentleman, and he was dealing with uh, a spousal issue with his girlfriend, and he was really shaken. I mean, and my team called me. They seen him in the corner. He was shaken. He had two weapons in his hands. Oh, um, they called. Yeah, they called me over, and um. Uh, of course, I, I moved to him um, cautiously. I got the weapons from him, and I sat him down, and I talked to him, and he was he was broke down crying. He's like, man, I can't believe that she would do this to me. And um, we sat down. We talked for a while. We prayed together. We, we cried, and um, he was able to go get some help. And um, he reached back to me like two years later, and he told me his, he said, of all only that I can um, accept you coming to me because I can tell that you were speaking from the heart that you oh, dealt with wow. things like this. And and that, that kept him from actually doing what he intended to do because he wanted to go home and he wanted to, to, to murder his girlfriend. Wow. And you stopped yeah. him from doing that. How does that make you feel? Great. But uh, I can tell you this, it's bigger than me. It's bigger than me. I mean, every, every day I'm, I'm thankful. You don't mind me asking this, but do you have a religious faith that you fall back on? Does that help strengthen yes. your, your resolve? In what way? Yes. Because um, a lot of things I can't handle, I just, I just give it to God. Okay. Because um, I'm, I'm, a lot of times, I, you know, some people um, feel the pain of other people. And when you communicate with a lot of people who are going through struggles, you feel it with them sometimes because, you know, you've been there. And sometimes it gets it gets heavy, right? Yeah. So it, and when times like that, I I just give it to God, and I thank God for just putting me in a place where I can reach out and I can I can be there for people. But then I ask God to carry that weight for me, because there's been times where I'm like, uh, I don't know, if I can take another step. Right. Do you and, do you do you look to, do you look to help people? Yes. Yes. Can you give me an example I of, 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 I know we just talked about the, uh, the gentleman who was going to kill his house, um, but I mean, mm-hmm. do you make an active effort to become involved with people that are struggling with trauma? Uh, I've, I've, I've spoken a few times, um, but a lot, I, it's been, let me back up. I spoke, I spoke at a few places no one, um, for, for marriage couples. But well, you're a motivational speaker, right? Am I, am I right about that? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. People have called me out to speak to couples, um, okay. but on, on a higher professional level, I've never I've never done on a higher professional level. Just a lot of times, people just who, who know me will invite me out. Hey, Vol, right. please come out and speak to, speak to people. Uh, a lot of people on my team they always ask me, Hey, you come sit with us and you know, give some encouraging words. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. I, I have a bark that I do. <laughs> I guess when you're breeding my um, breeding dogs and being my dogs all my life, <laughs> and it, it's my it's, it's, I call it I call it my energy. And it's times when I come to the room and I just bark and just get everybody's attention. Hey, everybody let's wake gets up. You. Come on. <laughs> hey, it's Vol. He's in the room. <laughs> I can see it now. <laughs> 
So, so, so Vav, I mean, I'm talking to this gentleman here who has such a concern and outreach and empathy for, you know, for, for people. And we don't, mm-hmm. we're not seeing that a lot these days. And unfortunately, it yeah. really has really happened on the African-American side. And uh, yeah. what are your thoughts about that? I mean, what are your thoughts about police brutality and, and, and what can be done to stop it? Because there has just been some outright, you know, cases where, you know, it, it just was nothing but brutality. And what are your thoughts on that? I think, well, first and foremost, I'm a union man, so I love my unions. But the problem I see is that they have corrupt unions on the police department. And, mm. and I'm going to give you an example. I've had times where I have people that do something completely wrong. And when I come to the room, I'm, I tell them immediately, you're wrong. And right. it's going to stop. From the police departments, from what I see from a distance, it's like no matter what they do, even when they're caught on camera, right. they're going to support it. They're going to back them. They're going to support it. But that doesn't make you right. I right. mean, and, and that makes the people lose faith in what they see. If I can see on camera that the man... Uh, or the police officer shot someone down in cold blood. Right. As a union official, it is your duty, your sworn right. oath to do right. And the union officials are not doing that. When as union officials, we swear oath to do right and and to uphold justice, not just to our union but to our people. Right. And and it's sad that it's happening that way. Um, we, we need to uh, put things in place to, to hold them accountable. We need to put things in place so that we, you know, like what happened in Tennessee, you know, they, they jumped on right. it quickly. Thank, yeah. thank God for that. I mean, and they it, did. You know, yeah, and a lot of people may not realize it, but the problem was a union official that was there that was involved that said, no, they're wrong, they got to go. You know, because it, a lot of times, was... 99% of the times, the union is behind it. Right, and it was encouraging to see the chief of police leading the way in that in Tennessee and having her, you mm-hmm. know, be out the front and be as transparent as she possibly could. I mean, because she was in a mm-hmm. pretty difficult situation. Um, but yeah. that being said, um, you yourself, though, speak from experience, right? I mean, you have been a victim of police yes. brutality. Can you tell us about yes, that? Um, uh, years ago, I was uh, dating a model. She was a beautiful lady, and I was younger. And <laughs> we, were dating, <laughs> we were dating for 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 a short period, and she she got into a car accident. And when I met her at the hospital, there was a police officer there. I didn't pay him much attention. I told him thank you for you know, making sure she was fine, and I didn't I, honestly I didn't think much of it because I was a music promoter at the time. And, um, and I'm gonna tell you what the why behind the what when I mentioned that. Sure. Um, I, I came in, gave a hug, gave a kiss, and said, okay, I'm going to take her home. Well, as a music promoter, I used to wear no fancy clothes and you no know, jewelry and things of that nature. And he looked at me, you know, you know, in a stern manner. I'm like, okay, I just thank you. Whatever the case, thank you. Goodbye. So mm-hmm. three days later, she told me the officer kept pulling up near her house, and he pulled her over to, and he claimed that he would just make sure that she was fine. I didn't think anything of it, and I said, wait a minute, that's no. At the time, I said, wait, wait a minute, that seems quite odd after the third time. So then um, one night, I seen an officer, well, I didn't know it was an officer at the time. They pulled beside me in my car, and mm. there was two guys dressed in all black. And 
this is during the time when people are carjacking people and they had my registered yeah. firearms on me. So when I seen that door pop, I jumped out of my car. I had my firearm pointed at them. They were pointing at me. And I had a laser beam on the driver's head. Oh, my God. So the the, the guy kept saying, I'm a police, I'm a police officer. Well, police officers, put your gun down. No, I don't see badges. I don't see anything. I'm not putting anything down. So then they backed us. Okay, we're going to get in our car. They backed in the car. They drove off. I drove off. All of a sudden, I made it like a block away. They dragged me and my friends out of the car, and I got with me and my friend. We beat us to a pulp. Oh, my God. And then... <laughs> And then said, all right, now you can go. So I got help, got us out of there, and um, time went on. Six right. months later, I was at a hotel. I came back to the city, and um, I was planning on meeting her again. Um, okay. And when I got out there, all of a sudden a bunch of police showed up, and they beat the brakes off me. <laughs> and layman turns, they beat the brakes off me, broke um, one of my arms at the elbow level, oh, dislocated wow. both shoulders. Yeah, my head would look like a swollen um, watermelon with with holes in it. I, I didn't even recognize myself. I looked like uh, Martin Lawrence on, for the Martin Lawrence show when he fought on uh, Larry Spinks. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was I messed up that. bad. I remember that. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, I was in an induced coma for like four months. And um, I kept going, coming in. I kept coming through, and they pinned me right back out because I didn't know where I was at the time. And then... Um, I don't even know what, what happened after that, honestly, because I was young and dumb. And when I asked her I sue, they said, you can't sue this particular state. Um, you can't sue the police force. And right, right. they said um, I had to get an attorney to try to sue the actual police officer. And then I was in the Commonwealth state. They said no, no attorney would pick it up. They said, you're wasting the time. You can't do anything with it. And so they right. never charged me for anything. They just stumped my brains out pretty much. And and a lot of people may not realize it. In the inner city, this happens a lot. And nothing ever gets said because, you know, a lot of people in the inner city feel like, well, there's nothing I can do. At these people, right. a couple of lawyers, they're not going to take your case. And right. then you pretty much, you just, okay, well, life goes on. And that's like what's going on in um, Tennessee right now. You have a lot of people talking about different cases. And right. there's only like one or two cases that are, that's actually in on file, but if it's only one or two cases on file, that I mean it probably happened like maybe a thousand times. Sure. Because sure. most people get turned away. Right. I recall when I, when I went up there to the police station several times, like, hey, one of the charges was nothing you can do. Um, here you can talk to um, to the lieutenant, you know. But okay, thank you, and you leave. That's it. And nothing was ever done about and it. No. 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 One thousand stuff you... was a big deal. How do you come out of that, though? I mean, you've explained the story to me, and I'm, I'm, you know, basically sitting here with my mouth open. Um, but how do you come out of that without, you know, feeling some kind of strong hate or anger? How do you quell that? At one point, I did, and most people. Most, I'm gonna be honest with you. Most people who deal with that, they have that rage. I mean, and that's a right. rage, and. I mean, it's been points um, after that happened. I'll look at a police officer. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. You step forward, it's you and me. Right. And right. and because, you know, people just didn't trust them. I mean, sure. luckily now that I'm older, I know I know a few great police officers, and uh, we, we communicate about how to help the community. Uh, mm-hmm. One in particular, he's a great guy. He has um, 
several camps. He has a Boston camp. He has a youth camp, and he does his best to, to get back to the community. But even from these police officers, they even say that they it's like they don't trust a lot of their, um, their partners, and they can't do anything because if they speak up, the union will get rid of them. Or they'll oh. shut them up. Uh, yeah, I mean, they'll tell you. I mean, I have a few people that have told me, like, look, if you have a problem, you just call me and don't say anything. Just call me and just put your phone on speaker because of this. Right. And if this is the thing that a lot of people don't talk about. No, no, you don't hear a lot about that at all. Yeah, and there's been many cases when police officers try to speak up to stop stop the violence, and they themselves will be persecuted. Right. I think they, what they call that the thin blue line, right? Correct, yeah. And, and it's yeah. really, honestly, it's just a gang. It's just a gang. gang. And we're not even a gang, it's a terrorist group. Yeah. Is that well, not what happened in, um, in in Tennessee? We had that one group specifically designed to be, you know, out terrible. front and to kill. Correct. And that, yeah, the name slips my mind right now about what they were calling themselves. But yeah, it was a group that was specifically designed to, I guess, from what you read about it, instill terror. And, Correct. you know, ask questions later. And it gets very difficult for people, especially African-Americans who um, have been the victim of this for so many years and so many decades. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, you know, <laughs> with the advent of the phone and with the advent of the camera now, it, it makes it almost impossible to be hidden. But that is something that your community, the African-American community, has known for years mm-hmm. and is lived yeah. with. But, oh, oh, please forgive me. But um, guess what? It's happening in all communities. Right, right. And we're yeah, seeing and it, it is, I mean, I mean yeah, and, and, and granted, it's highlighted inside that, the, the African-Latino community, but it's happening in all communities. And it's happened to a lot of uh, young white kids out there. If the cop doesn't like them, they'll get them. If they know their parents are not in a position right. to really defend them, they'll right. get them. Right. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, if you... I, I came under something mm-hmm. of that issue. Um, I was parked. I was parked before work, uh, reading a book, mm-hmm. and I was parked across the street from an audio uh, warehouse that got robbed. And mm-hmm. you know, unbeknownst to me, I mean, I saw the cops pull up, and you know, and I was across the street in a vacant lot, you know, reading my book before I went went into work. And um, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I had three police officers charge my car and yell at me. All at the same time, what was I doing? Why was I parked here? What you know? What's this? What's that? I mean, and it was very, very scary. Mm-hmm. You know, I put my hands yeah. on the steering wheel so I could, you know, everything could be seen, but still. And then when I asked, yeah. you know, what the issue was, they said that uh, a man fitting my description was the one who may have robbed this audio warehouse. And I mean, that's impossible. <laughs> Because, I mean, yeah. I literally just pulled up about 15, 10 minutes earlier. So that was impossible. But I knew that. And I, but see, that, that was very light. That was very, very light. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, what I got off pretty you know, easy just being yelled at, you know, Correct. not being physically abused. And, I, and, I, and I, I, I have often wondered about that morning whether or not if I had been a young black man, had I had mm-hmm. I would have gotten off that easy, and and, and I'm sad to say uh, I don't think I would have. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. I, I, I don't think and, I would have. Yeah, and, it, and it's um, it, it's sad that we're dealing with this 
yeah. because mm-hmm. we, we need to reform and quickly because there's different seasons, um, generational seasons that we go through. Right. And right now we're at the point where everything's about to spill over. There's so much negativity in the world right now. There there's is. so much that we're dealing with. Yeah, there and is. it's difficult for more and more people to handle it. I mean, look look at the people who are out there just running the buildings and shooting everything up. And it, right. it, it's, it's scary because we don't know who's going to pop. I mean, who's just going to give up at one, at one point? But you and, know, um, I can, uh-huh. No, well, I was going to say, but you know what's missing is something that you have um, over and over in just this brief time I've been interviewing you uh, had an incredible amount of empathy. And I think empathy is what's missing yes. right now. Yes. You know, and being I, able to. And that's why. No, I go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Val. Oh, go ahead. And, and that's why I try to convey that inside of my, my, my novels. Right. Um, so to remind people what it, what it, what it feels like, because sometimes, you know, we as people, we look at things, you know, from the outside and we feel like, okay, they're fine, they're fine, but the average person is dealing with something. Every person on this planet has something that they're battling. True. And sometimes we need that humanity, humanity to come back. And I try to convey that inside of my stories because there's so many different ways that people are, are struggling. How how do you I do mean, that in your stories? How do you do that? How do you convey that? Can you give me an example of a relationship within the story or characters that come to mind? Um, and and dead man standing. Okay. Uh, again, it's a couple. They're going through it. The man he feels like, you know, his spouse has you know forgotten about him. Okay. Israel, and he feels like his spouse, you know, is neglecting her. She's cheating or something, but he's not conveying that to her. He just becomes frustrated because when he talks to her, she's yelling at him. Uh, she's not just, you know, give him the cold shoulder, but she's battling something, and she doesn't know how to convey it to him. Right. And she's hurting inside. And how we say hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we, we bottle up, you know, and, and that goes for married couples. And a lot of couples, they deal with stuff every day. Right, and it's, and it's 24-7. And it isn't, I've been married 27 years, and I used to joke about it all the time. I'd say, I've been married 27 years, and it's been the happiest two years of my life. And, uh, you know, I used to say that all the time. one time I made the mistake of saying that in front of my wife. Um, but it, 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 it's a constant struggle every day i mean married being married is not easy and um it, it's mm-hmm. it, and it can have its difficult days has its great days but it, it's a yes. coordination of of putting yourself in that person's shoes and i know that i think that's a lot of what's missing today is the fact that mm-hmm. people don't realize that other people are going through many different things and they only have like tunnel vision where they can see what they're mm-hmm. going through, but not being able to see, you know, what the other person's going through. You know, it's like the whole thing that really right. bothers me sometimes is, um, you know, there'll be this, you'll see a person on the side of the road and unfortunately they're hungry and unfortunately they need something. But, you know, we get this general blanket statement of, you know, why don't you get a job or you're just a bum? But we don't know that. We don't know that. Mm-hmm. We don't know if this person's been laid off. We don't know if this person has some mental issues. We don't know if this person has just reached a bad point in their life. And and I think mm-hmm. out of the equation of today, we're failing to do that. Yes. 
Yes. You know, we're failing to do that. You know, I mean, I, 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 I look at your past. I mean, um, do you want to just briefly just explain what happened when you were 13 and uh, you were shot by your stepfather? Um, he was trying to um, kill my mother. And um, oh, I was inside. Of, I was inside the house. Um, the argument started with something. It was something honestly just stupid over a pet tarantula. He was upset because he <laughs> bought a pet tarantula. Okay. Um, I just came home from school and I was inside of my room. And my younger brothers and my younger sisters they ran inside and told me said he's gonna kill mom. So I ran outside and I because he he used to beat her all the time. And I told him last time, you need to stop beating my mother. And so I ran outside, and when I ran out there, he had two thirty-eights. Um, he had a thirty-eight in one pocket, a twenty-two in another pocket, and a thirty-eight in his hand. So he, he had all of them loaded up, all six rounds oh, in each one man. of them. Wow. And um, he was pistol whipping my mother, and I ran over there and pulled him back. And right. when I pulled him back, I told my mother to run. And... um. He looked at me. I told him, so "You're not gonna hit my mother anymore." And um, before I got a chance to say anything, he, he threw his arm toward me, and uh, he threw one punch, and he his punch was a swing back with a, like a back slap or a back fist with his left hand, and he raised his right arm and shot me. He tried to shoot me in my in my in my in my heart, but he moved and he shot me in my shoulder with a 38. And um, all I can remember is when my mother screamed. It sounded like like an animal. And she screamed, and she was, and just she started throwing bottles at him. Cause we were outside, you know, near near the cars, and she kept telling me to run. And I was like, no, I'm not scared of him. And I didn't realize that he shot me. I was like, in my mind, I was like, man, he punched hard. Oh, right, <laughs> right, right. Hard. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then I, I felt the heat hit my arm. Then all of a sudden. I started burning more, and then all of a sudden right. it just dropped. My whole shoulder dropped. Oh, I'm like, oh, wow, okay, I'm shot. I can feel the hot blood going down my arm. And I started walking away toward the front of the house. And she kept screaming for me to run, but I was walking. And um, I remember there was a neighbor to the left. And I said, excuse me, sir, could you call the ambulance? Because we was always raised to be respectful for my dad. Right. Sure. And I was like, excuse me, sir, can you call an ambulance? I've been shot. And he kept saying, son, I know. And I didn't realize he had his AR-15 in his hand. And he yelled, oh. get back. And I looked back. My stepfather was trying to shoot me in the back of the head. But he um, put his AR-15 out. And I'm pointing at my stepfather. So my stepfather ran back away. And he right. kept saying, son, come Save to me, come life. to me, son. And he ran over there with his, with his AR. And... um. He pulled me into his house and he caught the ambulance and um, the ambulance came and got me. But um, if it wasn't for him, my stepfather, he would have um, killed me because he, he came behind me to shoot me in the back of the head. Good Lord. I can't imagine it. And that's, and that's what I'm saying is there are so many people out there with so many different backgrounds and so many different traumatic events that happen in their life that you can't pigeonhole them. And you can't say, well, no. you know, this is the way it is because and, – and, and, and you need to talk and you need to communicate mm-hmm. to Correct. put yourself in that person's place to fully understand. And I think, you know, again, you know, you, you know, gauging from, you know, what we've spoken about tonight and, and um, you know, that is the depth 
that uh, missing part that society is feeling almost every day. Yes, yes. And, and the, you know? the crazy thing about all of this, years later, when my mother passed away, I went back and forgave her. And um, because when I was younger, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. When I was younger, I was gonna take his life. <laughs> but my sure, mother called sure. me when, out of the blue, and she's like, "No, I don't know where you are. I just want you to go home." And I'm like, "Mom, what are you talking about?" I said, "My nickname is Man." I said, "Man, I don't know where you are, but something's telling me I need to tell you to go home." And at the time, I was living four states away, but I drove eight hours to come see him. Wow. And, yeah, and um, because of that, I turned around. And then when my mother passed away, as a gift to my mother and to myself, I wanted to go see him and forgive him. And when I met him, it was it completely caught me off guard. He cried, and he, he told me, he's like, man, I've always been so sorry for shooting you. He said... And he just broke down in tears and cried, and we both cried, you know, hugging each other. And we forgave each other. Wow. Wow. Do you think, though, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, and, and see, that's a step forward right there. That's a step forward. And do you think, uh, you imagine now, after, you know, having that moment, um, mm-hmm. imagine what it would have been like to continue to carry on that anger and all that hate and all that rage yeah. without discovering yeah, that. You know that he was just mm-hmm. as in—he was just miserable in pain. in pain. Yeah, that's the that's exactly what yeah. the word I'm looking for, Paul. He was—he was exactly yeah. in pain. Is that a lot? Is—is is that covered a lot in uh, the new one? It's not a game. I mean, not the uh, actual incident, but the theme of mm-hmm. that forgiveness. Um. Yes. Some of that—that that is in there. Yes. Yes. Oh, how do, how do you now? Is that through a character, or is this more? Let me ask you this: Is this more of a mm-hmm. memoir, or is this fiction? Is, is this fact fiction? Is this the facts oh, fact of fiction. what? Yeah, this is fact fiction. So this is all yes. of your experiences intertwined into a novel with characters, right? Correct. So, so can you because, tell us uh, a little? Uh-huh. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, no, you're fine. You, 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 you go ahead. I was going to ask you. Um, it, it, can you give us a little bit of a synopsis about it's not a game? Uh, it's not a game. It's about two brothers and a family with with a, a family secret dealing with racism. Um, one brother is, is is a drug lord. He gets kidnapped, and the big brother wants his brother to forgive him for the wrong he done to him, and he's trying to save his younger brother. And throughout the book, the family and the, the big brother, Juan, has to make a lot of choices to save the one that they always um, cursed. Okay. Wow. Okay. I was going to say, you've got a lot of different themes in it. And when is that going to come out? Uh, it should be coming out in about two more months. Two more months. Two more months for It's Not a Game. Yes. Now, we got five more minutes left. I just want to go ahead and ask if you could let our listeners know where you can be reached and how they can learn more about It's Not a Game and Dead Man's Standing. 
Uh, I'm on Instagram at Vol Green and Vol Viz and Victor O with two L's Green with an E at the end of it. I'm on Facebook um, at Vol Green again, um, and I look forward to, to hearing more from people um, because I, I love to communicate with people and I I love to hear hear the stories that people are going through. And if I can be a beacon of light or if I can be there to help someone. Like I said, it's a blessing. Uh, you know, a lot of times people, they call blessings what they receive. Sometimes it's blessings what you can give. And wow. I feel that we all we all need, you know, to, to be a blessing in someone's life. But, again, um, it's at Green on Instagram, at Green on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and um, I have my other sites coming up real soon. Um, and um, I, w- I would love to hear from people. Well, I'm sure they want to hear from you because with the background that you have, the stories that you've told, and the novels that you're writing, you're definitely in a forefront. And uh, I really I, – I hope you'll come back and join us after It's Not a Game. I hope you'll come back and join us on the mm-hmm. podcast. We can talk about that. And uh, I also want to say uh, from a uh, – sincerely, I really appreciate you sharing those painful moments of your life with us. Um, I know that that had to be difficult, but – I'm encouraged and I'm inspired, actually, um, to hear you speak about your transformation, how you've come to terms with forgiveness, and how you continue to be there for people that are hurt, lost, and maybe just desperate. So from all of us here at Unscripted, I want to say thank you. And uh, again, have a wonderful evening. And again, I hope you will join us for It's Not a Game when you publish it. And we can sit down and get right into the book. (laughs) (laughs) That would be great. That would be great. And don't forget, um, Dead Man Standing is on Amazon. It is on on Amazon. And I would like to remind people that do go to Amazon to get it. Make sure you scroll down. There's a reason there's five stars next to every review. This book's important. This book's meaningful. And it's a great read. It's a great read. So, folks, thank you very much for joining us tonight on Unscripted. Vol, thank you for being our guest. It's been a pleasure. And, again, I look forward to uh, hearing back from you and talking more about your new book coming out, It's Not a Game. And when does that come out again? In two more months. Two more months, so people should be looking on Amazon, right? Yes, sir. And thank you again. Thank all of you. All right, everybody. Have a good night, Vol. Take care. And from here uh, at the studio for Unscripted, this is Tony Taylor saying everybody have a great night, and we will see you back here next Thursday. 